Welcome to Creative on Purpose Live. These conversations are about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Do the work you're meant to do now. It's time to be creative on purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Endeavor and Chief Difference Maker at Creative on Purpose. Learn more about me and my work and grab a free copy of the, free, uh, the Creative on Purpose handbook at creativeonpurpose.com. Today we are having a special Ask Me Anything episode and we have had a lot of questions come in, uh, in in advance, and I'm happy to, in addition, take any questions that pop up in the chat while we're live. So let's go ahead and get started. So my friend Stephen St. Amant asks, I know some artists who get stuck on the idea that if people don't like my work, they don't like me. There's a complicated relationship between the work is very personal and does the work resonate and the artist's feeling of self-worth. I'd love to hear you riff on this. So it's a great question. Uh, and it, I think what we're really dancing around here, Stephen, is the posture of a professional and the posture of an amateur. And I am not here to advocate uh, either posture. I, for one, am uh, try to be or don't try to be, I am a professional in the way that I show up as a husband, as a father, as a teacher, as a musician, as a coach, uh, and as a blogger and broadcaster here at Creative On Purpose. But there are millions of things that I do that I'm just a pure amateur at, whether it's cooking or running or painting or drawing. Um, you know, the, these are things that I enjoy doing, but I don't apply myself in the way that a professional might. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily be profiting from something to have that professional posture. If you have any endeavor that you seek excellence in, it requires the kind of commitment and the, the posture of showing up and doing the work and sharing the work and requesting the feedback and, and looking for and and learning more and doing the work every single day. And so for me, um, the real question within your question is if people don't like my work, they don't like me. Well, it's a question of making sure that your work is in front of the right people. Your work can't be for everybody. It has to be for so specific somebodies. And if you're blasting your work out and people are not liking it, um, it may very well be that the work was never intended for someone like them. And so being really specific about what you're applying yourself as a professional at, who you're sharing that work with and for, and then just the, the daily habit of doing that work. And for me, that has been the way that uh, I've been able to develop my craft in the domains that I seek excellence in and level up in those enterprises and offerings and testing for resonance as I go and tweaking and iterating my offerings and, and my services as I go to align with the needs of those I seek to serve. So I think it can be both. You, you certainly want to be happy and, uh, you know, be passionate and, and purposeful about the work that you're doing. Um, but if that work is um, done purely for you, then 
what's the value other than your your maybe your own sense of enjoyment or fulfillment and can you truly level up in an enterprise if it's just the only audience that you're trying to please is yourself it has to be a dance of doing the work that you get to do and doing that within for an audience that it's intended for so Stephen, i hope that that um, helps answer that question i'm going to go ahead real quick and just take a quick look at the my screen here to see if anybody is coming in to the chat. So we have viewers. That's fantastic. If you're here, uh, looks like we got three folks on the in the at the live event as I speak. I'd love to have you just uh, share in the chat. Oh, there's Stephen, whose question I just answered. Great to have you here, Stephen. Uh, if, you, if you're tuning in live, please just go ahead and uh, say hello in the chat. If you have a question, I'll promise to get to it. Let's move on to the questions that came in ahead of the broadcast. Today, uh, we also had a question from Ankit Gupta. Um, he asks, if we were to meet two years from now, what story would you be most excited to share with me? If we were to meet two years from now, what story would you be most excited to share with me? I would be most excited to share the story about what's happening right now and what I'm thinking about for what's next for me. Um, that's just part of my process. I um, think it's important to learn from uh, the events of the past and, and you know our successes and failures in the past for sure. Uh, but I think attaching too much significance or, or um, spending too many cycles on the way things were is not very healthy. And I think it's also not really that healthy to uh, be too attached to outcomes that we seek in the future. We certainly need to have uh, an aim. We have to be pointed in a direction. We have to be taking aim at a specific goal, result, or outcome. But we can't possibly know what uh, what will you know? What what are the obstacles that we don't see when we before we get started? What are the opportunities that might avail themselves as we're moving along? And so, although we sometimes do get exactly what we want or what we thought we wanted, more frequently in my experience, we end up somewhere that we didn't expect. Um, but it's still really great because we've been uh, approaching and stepping into possibility uh, towards that destination with intention and integrity within four the right people. So um, I guess the story I would be most excited to tell is about what's just happened, um, you know, what I'm thinking about now and, and where I might be pointing myself to go next. So thank you for that question, Ankit. Uh, my friend Louise Karch asked a question um, that I'm sure uh, she already knows the answer to, but she says, "What? how do you know what to call your, your work? So my friend Louise Karch is a fellow coach in the Akimba workshops uh, that are put out by Seth Godin, and she has written a multi-award winning book called Name, uh, Word Glue, and it's all about naming your brand. Uh, and so if I were to start all over, I would probably go to my friend Louise and ask for her help in naming my brand. I will tell a story just about naming the brand Creative on Purpose. Um, when I exited the Alt MBA 6 in August of 2016, uh, I exited a very different person than I entered it. I thought when I entered the Alt MBA that I wanted to build and develop and scale my online guitar teaching business. And by the time I entered the program, I didn't even really want to necessarily be a musician or, uh, you know, be involved in that business anymore. I had this new idea that I was very poorly 
conceived at that point. I just knew I wanted to take my lifelong interest in Stoic philosophy and marry it to my lifelong interest as a person pursuing creative interests. And so the first iteration of that offer was the Stoic guitarist. It then became, uh, and, and I was told um, very directly by my friend and mentor, Seth Godin, that that was not a great name. Um, I then iterated to the Stoic Creative, which was also uh, landed pretty flat. I wrote a book by that title that did reasonably well, but not as well as it probably could have. And it was sometime during, um, right before I became a coach in Akimbo Workshops as a student in the Marketing Seminar Session 4, that I landed on the brand Creative on Purpose. And when I when I did that, I remember Seth telling me, um, you know, that I had hit a home run, that it was a, a, a great brand name. So naming your brand is, and naming your work is uh, an iterative iterative process. I'm a big believer in small steps. Coming up with names, testing names out in the wild with the market, with, you know, people that you seek to serve, testing for resonance to, to circle back to Stephen's earlier question. And, uh, and then, you know, finally deciding, uh, spinning cycles for a year and a half on my brand name was probably time not really well spent. If I just stuck with a one of my earlier names, I probably could have been further along. Um, deciding, decide on a name, go with the name, and uh, and live with it until it no longer works um, would would be my advice. But also really great advice to seek an expert, and Louise is certainly one of those. Next question is from uh, my friend and fellow traveler, John Mitchell. He is asking, what's the distinction between real work versus pretend work? Uh, and he specifically is, is alluding to avoiding the studying and preparing trap. So I just actually finished drafting uh, an email to go out to the Creative Our Purpose members um, tomorrow that's called Do the Work, and it really speaks exactly to um, John's question. We get better at the work that we want to do by doing the work. You cannot discuss or educate or think your way into doing better work. Whatever your endeavor is, the only way to get better in that endeavor is to do the work, to put it out in the wild, to do the work out loud, to do the work in person and out loud. And um, the seductive the thing about online, um, you know, the seductive thing about books and seminars and speak, uh, attending speeches and workshops and all this kind of thing is it feels like real work, but it only becomes useful when it's put into use, when you apply what you learn in real life situations with your endeavor, with and for the people that you seek to serve. So I'm not in any way saying that you shouldn't be deliberate and thoughtful and educating yourself in whatever domain that you seek excellence in. But the best way always to get better at the work is to do the work. You did not learn how to be to, to talk as a child by thinking about it and studying how to talk. You practice talking and you talked really poorly until you talked a little better and then a little better and then a little better better and by the time you actually went to school to learn about uh, you know your alphabet and how, how to read and write you were actually already a pretty expert talker just by practicing talking 
talking badly until you talked well. Did the same thing when you became a walker and a reader and a writer and a bicyclist and everything else. You got better at it by doing it, doing it badly until you do it well. So when in doubt, don't get another book. Don't attend another class. Get out there and do the work. Uh, next question, and before I get to that, I'll just go ahead. Hey, Abby. Okay, so Abby has a question um, that she's put in the chat. We're going to go ahead and break from the, um, the the ones that came ahead of the broadcast. And Abby is saying, what has surprised you during this turbulent time? What has surprised me during this turbulent time? I, I don't know. Well, what has surprised me? I don't know that I've was been I've been surprised by anything, but I'll start talking until I come to something that is surprising. But I'll tell you what I noticed, Abby. A lot of smart people saw the COVID uh, pandemic coming from a long way away and did their very best to help warn our leaders how to. Um, flatten the curve and shorten the duration or even avoid having the epidemic um, cross borders and that was ignored. That's not surprising to me. Um, this is the thing uh, that is not surprising, but I think this is the thing that's revealed by the COVID-19 pandemic is that we are creatures who are absolutely in love with the status quo. We like to know what to expect and where we stand. And we are quite happy to wake up every day and have a day that looks like another one of those, another one of those that just happened yesterday and the day before and the day before. What we also learn is that one of the defining and best characteristics of being a human being is our capacity to work together to solve difficult challenges. And so at the same time that we revealed our 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 weakness or, or our comfort with the status quo, we've also seen in this extraordinary time uh, that people, when they need to, can still lean into their better angels and their best characteristics. We have learned that in this time of social distancing, we've learned how valuable it is to remain connected. Unfortunately, we have the powerful digital tools to be able to do that. We have learned um, that we actually one of the things that uh, human beings do best that machines can't do yet is we can we can solve difficult problems by working together and leveraging our human capacity for critical thinking, for creativity, for collaborative enterprise, and that when we set a common goal and we work in common purpose, that we build greater connection, greater trust, and uh, that that amazing things happen. And I have been, um, while I acknowledge that there has been much suffering, much of it unnecessary, and that is sad. Uh, I think at the same time we've been reminded about w what a great gift it is to be a human being, and we've been given the opportunity to go ahead and um, remind ourselves and start practicing the human skills um, of, like I mentioned before, critical thought, creativity, and collaboration. So thank you uh, for that question, Abby. Uh, going back to the questions that came in earlier, and again, if you're here, would love for you to just say hi in the chat. Uh, and if you have a question, I'm happy to stick around until uh, 12.30 or maybe a little beyond to, to answer questions. So Steve Miller asks, 
creation implies destruction. How do you clear out old? How do you clear out old ideas and work? Thank you, Abby. Um, yeah, so creativity is the act of breaking the status quo. Creati creativity is the act of looking at the status quo and saying, while this is sufficient, it's not, it's not as good as it could be, and actively engaging in enterprises that break the status quo and without knowing what the outcome will be, without being guaranteed of any results, leaning in and trying to put forth an effort to make something better, to make things better. And again, speaking to Abby's earlier question, this is the thing that's really exciting to me about the moment that we're in, is that we are being um, compelled to use all the powerful digital tools that have been around for ages and use them in ways that enhance our human nature um, and our need for connection and our need for creativity and our need for communication and collaboration. And so um, clearing out the old ideas part of it, you know, sometimes it takes something like COVID to show us that all the things that we, we count on and expect and all the things that we think are unbreakable are are breakable. Everything fails sooner or later. There is no perfect system that can last forever. And now, um, you know, if we're not in a time of crisis and we need to put ourselves in that mindset to just build in constraints to what we're doing. You know, if I wanted to do this, but I, I could, you know, if, if I wanted to build a website, but I couldn't build it, but I didn't have any money to build it, how would I build it? The beautiful constraint of how do you do something with less? Uh, is a really powerful way of clearing out preconceived notions, um, outdated ideas, old, uh, you know, old attachments and old habits that need to be put aside so that we can build the new habits and bring in the new ideas that will make uh, our endeavors even better. So my, uh, the next question is coming from my friend, Linda Westenberg, also uh, a coach in the Akimbo workshops. Um, Linda and I, I think I've known Linda since TMS1, the Marketing Seminar 1, um, and sh she knows that I am a card-carrying and member and flag-waving um, participant in the, the Stoic Revival. And so she asks, if Stoicism didn't exist, what philosophy would you gravitate towards? So it's a really interesting question. So one of my favorite pre-Socratic um, philosophers is Heraclitus, who didn't ever start a school he just and we only know his work through fragments and they're very um they're very obscure and uh difficult to parse um i love his work and so he's definitely somebody that is considered a pre-socratic and socratic philosophy definitely influenced stoicism and marcus aurelius in particular cites heraclitus multiple times in his uh, journal the meditations so um, that would be uh, a place I would continue to look at. And, you know, I, well, the first thing that popped in my mind, Linda, to be completely honest, is I'd probably, um, I'd probably just have stuck with my um, affection for my Catholic roots. And what I learned over time is that Catholicism and Christianity um, actually stole quite a bit from the uh, from the Stoics. And this is one of the, the, the great secrets to the success of Christianity is they borrowed ideas 
from all the popular philosophies of the day and were able to win people over to their sides and effectively ended the, the um, reign of Stoicism, which experienced about a 600-year um, period of flourishing. It began in 300 BC with Zeno Sidium and, uh, you know, it had its Greek period and then its, its Roman period until about 300 um, BC with the, the death of Marcus Aurelius. So, um, it's hard to know if uh, Christianity and Catholicism would exist as they are had the Stoics not um, existed first. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe I would have ended up a nihilist or uh, something else that I definitely would not want to be. <laughs> Um, so we got one more uh, pre, uh, pre-submitted question. Um, great to see people on the call. Again, would love to, if, uh, Abby and Stephen ha- have, have said hello and weighed in, and um, Stephen provided a question in advance, and Abby provided one here. If you have a, a question, I'm here to answer any question. Um, obviously, I'm deeply interested in creativity and what it means to endeavor better and uh Stoic philosophy, but I'm I'm happy to to field questions on just about anything. Um, so you'll have about five minutes while I answer this last question. If if you have any additional questions to share, so my friend uh, from down under, Susan McLaughlin asks, I'd love to know what we can do to encourage this in our children and their peers. And I, I think she's talking about creativity in in particular. So this is a great question and. You know, again, one of the things that we're learning in the moment that we're in with COVID-19 and stay-at-home orders and social distancing and kids having to be at school or be at home to do, and still doing school is that for a lot of, um, at least in my little town, when I talk to my guitar students online, uh, what I'm hearing is that school is pretty much the same. It's just um, happening, you know, with, a, with the buses handing out schoolwork around the county and teachers organizing Zooms, but teaching very much as if they were just sitting in a classroom. And, you know, I think we're missing an opportunity here if if we do that. Just as, you know, work can be better when we're allowed to to leverage the powerful digital tools and use, you know, stay at home, but still be able to um, do the work. I think we can amplify the change we seek to make in education by helping uh, schools, administrators, and teachers um, leverage and use and, and learn about how these tools can be used even more effectively. Nobody does this better, obviously, um, than my friend and mentor and employer, Seth Godin, whose Akimba workshops are proving um, to be very powerful uh, ways that create the actual change that uh, each workshop is intended to to, to make and it's part part of it is the content for sure but a important part of it is community and asynchronous and synchronous exchanges between students about the work that they're doing in the workshop and about the work that they're doing out in the world is a very powerful lever as a parent if you are wanting to help your student or your student your your son or daughter uh, become a, or lean into their creative nature and express their creative capacity and think about things a little bit more critically and look at things with a little bit more curiosity and consideration. I think the thing to do is to um, 
put interesting problems in front of them uh, and not be so quick to, uh, in the words of my friend Michael Bungay Stanier, be the advice monster. You know, don't instead of answering the question, why is the sky blue, uh, mommy or daddy, we can actually turn that into a project. And instead of answering the question uh, and just advising, we can actually create a project where we're going to find out what, what does, you know, what does the science say? How can we test this? Um, what are some um, previously unimagined ways that we might conceive of, you know, why the sky is blue? Leaning in uh, to difficult challenges, interesting questions, uh, problem solving everyday um, types of uh, challenges. I think these are all the best ways that we leverage uh, our creativity. And so, uh, you know, just putting putting those kind of challenges in front of our children and in our own lives, demonstrating a posture of curiosity and uh, less certainty and less judgment and more consideration um, will help them see that creativity is a, a great posture to adopt and, and not only a um, interesting activity, but also a deeply fulfilling one. And it's through creative enterprises that we develop, you know, our identity and and find significance and meaning in any situation we're in, including the one that we're in right now. And Stephen says, Stephen, Stephen's question began the conversation and it looks like his will end it. Is there a question you wish you would be asked more often? Questions directed towards you as well as questions we ask ourselves. Mm, that's a great question, Stephen. Um, I think the question that I would love for everyone to ask themselves more often is how could this be better? We are obviously, most of us possess a great deal of sufficiency. We have enough um, to not just live, but to, to live well. We have, we are enough. Uh, we possess everything that we need to um, experience greater sense of happiness and joy and thriving and flourishing in our life, even when things are, are difficult and challenging. Um, but at the same time, I think that, uh, I think that wherever we find ourselves and when we acknowledge that things are sufficient and we are sufficient as well, we can also say and and look for uh, what can be better and lean into that. It's if we feel that we have reached the end of the destination, uh, then we probably have not engaged in an in an endeavor that was really worth our um, precious time, attention, thoughtfulness, and consideration, care, and creativity. So, just to always be looking at how things could be made better, and then being the kind of person that um, gathers the right people and leans into that challenge together and just endeavors to make things better. And my friend John has hopped on as well. Uh, John asks, as an artist, how do you steal, how do you deal with the need to express yourself versus the need to satisfy your artistic statement? Rembrandt did so many self-portraits partially to avoid the need to satisfy a commissioner. Really interesting question, John. A really good question. So this actually will circle all the way back to, in part, the way I answered Stephen's question. Um, 
again, the posture of the amateur versus the posture of the professional. And again, not assigning any value judgment to either position. There are things that we all um, lean into with a professional posture. Somebody that shows up you know, on time is committed to doing better work and is committed to doing that uh, out loud and in public. And then the things that we do for ourselves that um, we don't seek um, excellence, we just enjoy them for what they are, you know, whether that's cooking or writing or making pots and candles or anything else. Um, if we're going to make the decision that we're going to level up from a creative posture where we're just interested in, you know, putting interesting new things into the world to leveling up to artistry in a specific domain. It requires the profession, the, the posture of a professional and, and it points to the, the delicate balance that John is speaking to, which is how do I do the work that I am best suited for? Um, and not compromise my integrity and my values while I'm trying to make a living and serving, um, you know, by getting paid by others to do that work. So obviously really, really super important that, you know, when you've kind of defined, and this is the creative on purpose process um, outlined in the handbook. Once you know who you are, what your core values are, what your guiding principles are, and what you've kind of, defined what your talents are, your hard skills and your soft skills, the things that you're really good at, you then have to de de define uh, your tribe, the people who share your values but need your talents to enhance their lives. And only a s small percentage of those people are going to be willing to pay you for your work, but you will satisfy your artistic sensibilities if your work is done in service to the right people. And that Venn diagram that we use at Creative on Purpose, which is available in the free Creative on Purpose handbook that you can download at creativeonpurpose.com, um, lays that out visually and uh, gives you some scientifically time-tested resources for how to define values, talents, and tribe. And so it, it's a uh, great question, John, and it speaks to the, the need to, to lean into your work with clear intention and with clear integrity and to know that sometimes you you do the work that you, you're going to have to do the work that you have to do and sometimes you're going to get to do the work that you get to do and it's trying to find a, a you know healthy amounts of both so that you can can sustain your enterprise but at the same time feel a sense of thriving and flourishing and, and making a difference we can learn a great deal from both enterprises and there's never a need to quit your day job just so you can do the work that you want to do or that you want to get to do. Um, there's plenty of time in the day to do both the work that you have to do and the work that you get to do. So everybody, I hope that that, um, that was interesting. We certainly had a lot of folks on the call uh, today and, and um, it's just been really, Fun. I, I did not do any preparation for <laughs> for this, obviously, um, but this is one of the things that I really love to do is to just uh, answer, you know, investigate interesting questions and uh, facilitate uh, facilitate interesting discussions. So, thank you, uh, Stephen, Abby, and John for being here and providing um, 
some questions live and to Ankit, Louise, Steve, Linda, and Susan for providing uh, questions in advance. This was really fun. I will certainly do it again. And uh, until next time, keep flying higher. And uh, if all this has been fun or interesting to you and you're not already a member of our community, go to creativeonpurpose.com, download the Creative on Purpose Handbook. You'll instantly become a member of the community, access to a live event every month, and you'll be a member of a tribe of difference makers that are all seeking to help each other fly higher in endeavors that make a difference. Thanks very much for being here.